Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. So a historian and Bible nerd Gordon Fee just actually recently passed. Uh, He talks about how in Jesus' day, nearly all the Jewish people, anyone who was was Jewish, would have been on the edge of their seats. They would have been so excited expecting a Messiah. Um, They would have been on the edge of their seats expecting a Messiah to bring a whole new kingdom, a new way of living. Um, They would have thought that they were on the brink of a time when that was going to happen. They would have thought um, that that they were on the brink of a time when when God would step into history and and just in the current age and begin a new age that was going to be everything that they've been ever dreaming of. Um, and so they imagined it like this. They imagined, here's this, this kingdom that we're in, um, and uh, it's sad, it's sickness, it's sorrow, it's demon possession, it's evil people winning. That thing that they're living in, they're enduring, coming to an end, and then this new, this new kingdom beginning where there's peace and health and t- t- no, no more sorrow, just joy and the things that you're dreaming of coming true, the beginning of that thing. They're imagining it was a person who was going to come and bring that. And they were expecting it soon. They were expecting it soon. And they were about to burst with expectation. They were about to burst with expectation. Um, they burst with anticipation. Um, as you get older, as I get older, I don't anticipate things like that anymore. Like, I don't, I'm like, when I was a kid, like, and I would go, go with my youth group to Cedar Point, that night I'd spend the night at my friend's house, and we couldn't sleep. We were so excited to go to Cedar Point. I mean, just, just about to burst. Uh, the older I get, the, the I don't, I don't have that feeling. I, I regret. I, I hate that I don't have that that kind of anticipation of anything. Um, these guys were just on on the edge of their seats. They were so like they could not wait. And I, I don't know if, if you can remember the last time you felt that kind of anticipation, or you, where you could jump out of your skin, where like, you, you couldn't wait till it happened. Um, maybe when someone's going to give you a gift. Or, or you were going to give a gift to someone that you knew was going to be exactly what they wanted, or, or you, your family was arriving, you couldn't wait till they got there. Um, the anticipation so so intense, you couldn't stand it. At that time, Jews were experiencing bad things in their present age. So the idea, the idea that a new age could begin, that there was a person coming that was going to bring this new age, all the bad things they were going through would be over. It was difficult to describe. So a prophet named Isaiah, writing about 700 years before Jesus shows up, he, he, he talks about this coming age. He says this, a desert, the desert and the dry ground will be glad. So the desert represents like wilderness and represents dry places will be full of joy. Flowers will grow there like the first uh, crocus in the spring. Crocus is, is like a flower. Um, everyone will see the glory of the Lord. They will see the beauty of our God. 
strengthen the hands of those who are weak. Help those whose knees give way. Say to those whose hearts are afraid, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will pay your enemies back. He will come to save you. So again, Jews experiencing all this. And this is what they would look at and meditate on and be like, oh man, it's gonna, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened. Then the ears of those who can't hear will be unplugged. Those who can't walk will leap like a deer. Those who can't speak will shout for joy. Those are, those are big promises, especially if that's talking about you. Those the Lord has saved will return to their land. They will sing as they enter the city of Zion. Joy that lasts forever will be like beautiful crowns on their head. Again, that's a big promise. Can you live up to that promise? They will be filled with gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing will be gone. If you're going through something challenging, imagine you're going through something. Some of you guys don't have to imagine very hard. You're going through something challenging. You're going through something awful. And you, if, if you believe this is true, that would be really exciting. <laughs> if you believe that a time like this was coming, you'd be on the edge of your seat expecting a Messiah. So that's the atmosphere that John the Baptist was born into. That's the atmosphere John the Baptist is born into. So well, we talked a couple of weeks ago, weeks ago about how John has this miraculous birth. People would have heard that John, when John was born, an angel told his dad that, 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 that he's coming. Um, John uh, seemed to be, when he becomes older, he seems to be very disinterested. If you know John's story, he's very disinterested in material things or luxury or even comfort. He's very much about people. Serving people, about people. He's a minimalist. Um, his clothes and his food and his housing were just as minimal as possible to keep him from being distracted from his mission, his God mission. So God, John's strong in the spirit. His parents probably die when he's relatively young. After that, he lives in the desert getting ready so that he can come and bring this ministry, bring this message. So he, he spends years getting ready for this public ministry. So when John finally shows up, he's saying stuff like this. He's saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. So you've got all these people anticipating a Messiah, and then John shows up saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. And his ministry just explodes. People are very, very drawn to him. Very, very drawn to him. So it's going so well that people begin to ask John, would you think, if, you, if that's the atmosphere, and John shows up talking about the kingdom of heaven, the natural question, question is, I say, is this it? Are you the one? <laughs> is, uh, let's, get this, let's get this party started. <laughs> like, is, is, is this it? Are you the Messiah? Are you going to give us the joy that lasts forever? Are you going to take away the sorrow and the sighing? Is, is this it? Are you? Listen to this. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Um, this is a test, right? This is where we find out like who people really are, um, what they're really about. Um, so most of us like to say, it's not about me, but we're lying, right? Um, because it comes out like, it comes out in the way that we act when we don't get our way, or it comes out when we serve people or we help people, but they don't respond the way that we want them to. Like we say it's not about me, but we're lying, <laughs> 
John is at this moment in history, in his ministry, where everyone, everyone is trying to make it about him. Every person in the room is trying to make it about him. So what kind of person will he be? Listen to this. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. (laughs) And then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they stopped following John and they followed Jesus. John, the Baptist, is a great man. He's probably my, I was telling someone this week, he's probably my favorite Bible character, um, mostly because I'm not like him. Uh, he's, he's a great man. He, he says, I'm not the focal point of what's going on. He is. And he has his whole ministry. The whole, he, spending all that time in the desert, getting ready to do ministry, getting ready, his ministry blows up, and then he just says, okay, here you go, Jesus. I'm turning it over to you. I'm giving it over to you. What kind of person spends their life building something, and then just as it starts to hit, turns it over? Like some of you guys run businesses. So imagine the business that you started just as it starts to hit, just as it starts to get going, you turn it over to somebody else. He's like, here you go. You, you just killed yourself getting it to here, but now you're like, I'm turning it over to you. This isn't about me. This isn't about me. Most of you guys know that at the pinnacle of George Washington's power, he steps down from being president after two terms. And like, now we're like, whatever, 200 some years past that, we're like, you know, we'll appreciate what he did, he also, he also, some of you guys know, he also stepped down as commander-in-chief commander of the Continental Army after the Revolutionary War was over. When some, of his, some of his people around him were saying, yo, you could stay, you could stay the guy. And he said, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. He was characterized, you think about this, he was characterized by giving up power. He did it several times. Not making it about him. And again, so, you guys know this. Um, <clears throat> I know that George Washington was not perfect. I know that George Washington owned slaves. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, when I'm dead, I sure hope that if people are going to measure me by my mistakes, that they also include the things that I did well in that conversation. He gave up power very well. It's unheard of. I think that if a man could be surrounded by people who want to make everything about him and still step aside and still point to something else or someone else, that's a great person. It's unusual and it's unreal. John does this. He is watching his ministry shrink and everything he's worked for, and I, I, bet, it is, I bet it is grueling, I bet it is hard, losing something that's important to you, that's precious to you like that, but John's learning to accept it. It's for the kingdom. He wants the kingdom to come, this kingdom to end, and this kingdom to begin. He's amped up about the kingdom, and just as he's doing that, he's arrested. Just as he's doing that, He's seeing, he's watching the collapse of his ministry. He's arrested. So John's lived his entire life sleeping under the stars, sleeping in the wilderness, sleeping out in the wild. So then all at once, his freedom's taken away. Uh, and unjustly, if you read, if you know his story, it's unjustly taken away. So 
Uh, I have a friend um, <clears throat> who recently went to prison. And so we've been <clears throat> emailing back and forth and just talking about uh, what that's been like for him. And he's going to be there for the next 10 years or so. And he's talked about the idea of trying to settle in. Trying to, trying to come to, to grips with the idea of, of his loss of freedom, that he is not going anywhere for a very long time. You try, try to put, get in that headspace of, okay, Thanksgivings, Christmases. Trying to accept the reality that... that uh, <clears throat> Your freedom is gone. It can break you. I mean, clearly. But add to that this. Imagine all the anticipation of seeing the kingdom of heaven come. The Messiah is here. It's all sorrow and sadness. It's all gone. And when you are anticipating all that coming to fruition completely, you're arrested. And it's all taken away. Uh, imagine going from anticipating joy that lasts forever, beautiful crowns on your head, to, to, to losing your freedom completely. The sorrow, the sorrow and sighing is supposed to be gone, and you're, now you're in a dark cell. So some, sometimes the thing that breaks us is when your expectations are really high of what you think should happen, and then they turn out to be this. Like... You think that you can trust her, but she breaks your heart. Or that you, you think that when you finally get this thing, or when you finally achieve that position, it's going to be so great, and it'll be fix everything, and then it's just as empty as before. When you have this high expectation, and then the thing ends up being this, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So John, this is happening to John. John's expecting the kingdom to come, and now he's in jail. And we've talked before about what their jail is like compared to our jail, and their jails are awful. You wouldn't put your pets into a prison like this. It's just terrible. It's, it's the, the drastic difference between what you expected and what you got is heartbreaking. That's happening to John now. So Jesus shows up healing people and raising people from the dead, and, and he, he, people are getting demons cast out of them. That's not John's reality, though. John's reality is prison. Um, John's disciples, and that's, so I'll read again what, what Rex read just a little bit earlier. John's disciples told him about all the things that Jesus is doing. And calling two of them, John sent them to the Lord to ask are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Why would John ask a question like that? Huh. It'd be like, it'd be like so, this afternoon, Silver saying to me, my daughter saying to me, are you my dad or should I expect somebody else? Like, what kind of question is that? Of course I'm your dad. He, John's the one that said, look, the Lamb of God who took you, you said it. What do you mean are you the one? You're the one who said it. It's not going how John thought it would go. Where's the gladness? Where's the joy? It isn't, the, isn't the Messiah supposed to take away the sorrow and the, the sadness? 
John had this idea of who Jesus would be, and Jesus is not living up to it. Um, author and uh, philosopher Voltaire uh, lived in the 1700s. Uh, he once wrote this. He says, though God created humans in his own image, we have more than returned the favor. Though God created humans in his own image, we have more than returned the favor. Do you understand what, what Voltaire is saying by that? This is what John's doing. He has an idea. In his mind, he says, the Messiah is this. And there's no room for anything else. And we, we, clearly, we do this. God is this. And when he does something outside of that, we are angry. When Jesus doesn't measure up to what John created in his mind, it crushes him. That's why he's asking the question. Are you the one... Because you're not doing what I expected you to do. Let's read it. John's disciples told him about all these amazing things that Jesus is doing. So, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured Many who had diseases. I, I wonder if Jesus said, okay, hold, hold on. What? Just, just watch this. What? You got a question? Watch. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've just seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Think about what that statement means. I wish I could talk about that more, but Martina said I couldn't, so you have to blame her. I just said, I gotta, I gotta focus. Uh, uh, after John's message, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom is written, is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. So <clears throat> John asks this question, um, are you the one? And Jesus quotes Isaiah, which we quoted before. And he says, listen. People are being healed and people are being raised from the dead. You, John, you, you know this. You know, you know Isaiah. Why are you asking me this question? And then Jesus says, don't stumble because I'm not doing what you thought I would. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. And when Jesus, then Jesus says to everyone, to everyone, of anybody, anywhere, of all people, nobody's greater than John. Nobody's greater than John. And I think it's interesting that he says it at John's weakest moment. He says, nobody's greater than John. And that's quite a statement. Um, I would love for Jesus to say that about me. 
Maybe that's arrogant. I don't care. Uh, I would love for Jesus to talk about me that way. When Jesus says, says it, though, what does he mean? What does he mean? Why, why is, what makes John so great? So Bible nerds have thought about this for a very long time, and I'm sure I won't be able to answer it definitively, but I want to talk about it really quick. So some, some of the Bible nerds think that Jesus is saying John's great because he gets to introduce the world to Jesus. Um, and maybe that's it. Uh, I, I think that we, we would say proximity to Jesus makes someone, can make someone great. That's on the right track. I, I like that. But let's think about um, what does is, what is Jesus typically define? How does he typically define greatness? When Jesus says something is great, someone is great. Listen to this. Anyone wanting to be the greatest must be the least, the servant of all. Any of you guys who've been following Jesus for for 10 minutes, you know. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is impressed by people who do what he says. Um, He says this, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Quick sidebar. Sometimes people get angry at me because I'm trying to teach what I think the Bible says. And sometimes, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But the reason why I do that, the reason why I do that is this right here. Is if I don't, I'm going to be held accountable. I'm trying to do what Christ asked me to do. I'm trying to teach and obey his commands so that I can be great. And you can be great in his kingdom. Okay, then that was... Second sermon. Um, Jesus is impressed by faith. <laughs> Once when a man with great faith, he said this, he was astonished. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine astonishing Jesus. What? It, doesn't, it seems like you'd have to surprise him or take him off guard. He says, he was astonished. Believe me, he said, that to, to, to those who are following him, I've never found faith like this. So, Maybe it was John's faith or his obedience or his selflessness or his service that made Jesus say he was great. Or maybe it's just because he gets to announce that Jesus is here. So when Jesus said that to the crowd, that, that when, when he, Jesus says that to the crowd, hey, John's the greatest person who ever lived, they weren't like, whoa. They weren't surprised by that. Lots of the people who were following Jesus at that time had been followers of John before. So they know John. They know what he's like. When, they, when Jesus says that, that they're, they're like, well, that's tracks that tracks john's great john's great i think what would have surprised them though is what jesus says next what jesus says next he says i tell you no greater human being has ever been born than john yet whoever is least in the god's kingdom is greater than him do you appreciate what he said right there um, recently I saw, saw a Gallup poll of the most admired people of the 20th century. So many of you guys weren't even alive for the 20th century, most of the 20th century, but, uh, would you think for a second, um, who you think are like the top most admired people of the 20th century, maybe the top two, top three, like who would you think that would be? Say that. Mother Teresa. That's a good guess. Any other guesses? 
Gandhi, yeah, good one. That's one. Martin Luther King, yes. One and two. Number one, Mother Teresa. Number two, Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. Martin Luther King. Now imagine with me being at an NAACP rally. I get to be the speaker at the NAACP rally. And again, if you, I don't know if you guys can appreciate this. Grew up in black circles. Dr. King was like royalty. Like, so imagine being at an NAACP rally, and I get up and I say something like, you know what? <clears throat> Dr. King, he's really great. There's probably nobody greater than him. But if you follow me, then the least of the people who follow me is going to be greater than Dr. King. That would be offensive. You wouldn't like that. You wouldn't be comfortable with that. I, not, and not like if you become really great or you're, if, you, if you're like a really, really dedicated. I didn't say that. I said the least of the people who follow me are greater than Dr. King. It's, that's, a, that's a gigantic statement. Jesus is saying this to people who love John. And he says, hey, guess what? If you're part of this new kingdom that I'm starting, the least of you is greater than John. They thought the world of John. I think that that's incredible. The people that Jesus was talking to, I don't know if they would have believed what he had to say. Whatever, whatever the reason that Jesus thought that John was great isn't really the point. It's not the point. Why John's the greatest of those? That's not the point. His point is that the least person in this new kingdom that he's bringing is greater than John. John, the son of a priest who gave up everything for God and didn't spend his life chasing material things, but built a ministry and went to prison in the name of God and introduced the world to Jesus. The least person in this new kingdom is greater than John. So think about this. Who's Jesus talking about? When he says the least person in this new kingdom is greater than John? He's talking about you. He is talking about you. He's talking about you. He's talking about us. He's talking about as great as John was, he's saying, You are greater than him. Maybe you should do, but maybe next time you do like a little Bible devotional talk, your devotional talk should be about why I'm greater than John the Baptist. Preacher and Bible nerd Alexander McLaren says that the weakest and most humble and ignorant among us who grasps the truth that Jesus came and died so that we could have life, that the person who believes and puts their trust in the resurrected Jesus is greater than John. The one of us with the least faith grasp a fuller Christ than any of those from John and backwards before did. So what Jesus is saying has nothing to do with character or personal holiness. It's simply about a fuller, resurre- fuller, fuller revelation of Christ and the proximity, the opportunity for proximity to him. Greatness is measured by our position with the Father. Jesus was beginning a kingdom where his, his completing of us for a kingdom of joy and gladness where sorrow and sighing were coming to an end. He was beginning this kingdom that he was fitting you for. The people in Jesus' day thought that one kingdom would come to an end and the new kingdom would begin. 
the kingdom they were living in that was full of the terrible things, the evil they were enduring. What they were expecting is that the Messiah would show up and then he would say, okay, this kingdom's over and now this kingdom begins. But clearly, that's not what Jesus did. (laughs) He allowed for the overlap of the kingdoms. Who would have expected that? Like, who would have expected Jesus would allow? They were one kingdom to end, one kingdom to begin, right? Jesus, but he's allowing for the overlap of these two kingdoms. We were promised a kingdom of joy that doesn't end. And Jesus says, that's right. That starts now, but not fully, not completely, not yet, not yet. Right now, we're living in the overlap of the kingdoms, and clearly, the old kingdom still exists because there's terrible things happening now. Now, the new kingdom is overlapping with the old one. And a time is coming very, very soon where everything about this old kingdom is going to be over. I need for you and me to belong to the new kingdom fully and finally with all our hearts. We need to belong to the new kingdom. So um, have you noticed that uh, we don't have much excitement or anticipation of the new kingdom? Not, not like those guys did 2,000 years ago. They were on the edge of their seats. They could not wait. Do you, have you notice that we don't have that kind of anticipation? Nothing like the Jews of Jesus' day. Not, we're, kind of, we're like, no, nah, this kingdom we're doing right now, it's, it's fine. And all our attention and all our energy is here on this kingdom that's going to end. I'm inviting us, I'm inviting you to a new kingdom. I'm inviting you to a greatness greater than John and all the Bible heroes that you read about as a kid and sing songs about. Greatness greater than them. The greatest version of yourself is found in submission to Christ in this new kingdom. The person you want to be, you want to most become, you will find in this new kingdom. I, I would think that, you know, I would think that all of us want to be great. We just try to be great in whack ways that are never going to solve what we feel. So the kingdom is coming to an end. This kingdom is coming to an end. It's time that we all jump ship and move our attention away and our attention and our energy and our resources to the new kingdom that's going to last forever. So I want you to, last thing, I want you to imagine this. I want you to think of it like this. Think of a train that's on a track that you know is going to end. It's going to, whether it's a cliff or there's a dead end or a wall, a train that's going to end. And it's going down the track, and at some point it catches up to another train. And at that point, they're overlapping. To get from this train to this one, you got to jump. You got to jump. You can live comfortable on this train, but this train is ending. And I'm astonished. I'm astonished by how invested I get in this train that's going to end and how little I'm invested in this train that's going to last forever. Jesus came to introduce a new kingdom. He came to get us set and ready for a new kingdom. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. He is 
I'm asking you to jump trains. Some of you guys have been, you know, you, you followed Jesus for years. You know Jesus, you followed him, but you still haven't jumped trains. I need you to jump trains from the train that's going to drive off a cliff. It is just that logical. One's ending and one goes on forever. What one do you want to be on? And is it, is it scary to jump? Yes. It's scary to jump. I'm inviting you for us to be just as excited for the new kingdom as those Jews were 2,000 years ago. Let me pray. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to begin a new kingdom where we can be better suited to live with you forever. Most certainly, we have all invited sin into our life that makes us train wrecks and we make bad decisions and hurt people. And There's a time where all of that is coming to an end. We, people thought that it was when you showed up the first time, but it's not. It was, you were just beginning it. <laughs> but when you show up that second time, all of that's ending. So I pray that you would give us the faith to jump trains, to jump off the train that's going to end and jump to the one that's going to be going on forever and to invest our energy and our lives and our resources in it. Um, You have made us greater than the greatest Old Testament Bible hero Not because of character, but because of proximity to you. Help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.